and one, two, three. Hey, how you doing, listeners? This is Universal. I'm here with another episode of uh, Servant of Comics. I'm here with a friend of mine, uh, Tate Yotter, a uh, graphic illustrator, comic book artist, and uh, another comic book uh, fan. Uh, thanks for joining me here. How are you, Tate? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks for having me. I'm I'm super excited to talk about not only comics but art in general. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, um, just tell us a little about a bit about yourself for any like listener, um, you know, just joining us today. Yeah, um, so I, well, let's see how far back do you want me to go? I, oh, uh, um, well, I'll just start by saying I'm, uh, I've only lived in California for a little over three years. Uh, I'm, I grew up kind of between Minnesota and Wisconsin and Minnesota is where I had spent like approximately the last 10 years before I moved out here. Um, it's where I went to school uh, at the Minneapolis College of Art and Design, um, where I concentrated in comic art and studied under Zach Sally, um, among a couple other um, comic book artists. And uh, I work as a product designer by day. So I'm a commercial artist by day and then uh, just kind of pursuing my passions um, whenever I have a spare moment, you know, um, yeah, I have a cat. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of cat? Um, you know, someone told me recently that she looked like a, like a blue Russian or a mm -hmm. Russian blue. She's a long haired one of those. I've always just written down, you know, domestic long hair. She, she's from my dad's farm and I've, I've had her for 14 years and she made the trip out here with me. Oh, wow. So yeah, she's my uh, she's my wingman. <laughs> nice, yeah. Cats are great. I love cats. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, tell us a little bit about um, just kind of like starting um, starting out in graphic art. Um, how did you kind of choose like the college? Um, kind of what appealed appealed to you? Um, is there any uh, alumnus or anything? Or yeah. Okay. So real talk. I like most of the decisions that I make in my life are, are things that kind of like I just let happen. When I was looking at art schools, first of all, I was a non-traditional student. So I, after high school, I, I did try to go to college and it just wasn't the time for me. I just wasn't responsible enough. I had some things going on at home that were really kind of taking over and I, to put it bluntly, like I failed my second semester. I, I just didn't go to class. I didn't show up for myself or for anybody else. And so I took, um, I took four years off and I worked at a bank. Um, and in between helping customers, I would draw. I mean, I grew up drawing and, and I would just draw whatever came to my mind. It was usually character driven. Um, although sometimes I would do observational drawings of things in the office, just like, just, I couldn't stop drawing. And it, you know, I grew up, I grew up in music and I grew up in visual art and I grew up just a little bit with performance as well. And visual art for whatever reason and this may or may not be true but it seemed to be the most viable career path uh, and frankly it seemed the least scary of the three things right like yeah. okay I can sit alone at my desk and draw getting up in front of people and performing is a whole other story um 
And so I chose the path of visual art and um, really I only looked at it at like three colleges. And it was my mom, I think, that brought the Minneapolis College of Art and Design like into my like focus. Like she's the one who kind of set that in front of me and said, what about this place? <laughs> you know, I looked through it and it, it looked cool. And I was like, great, let's go look at it. You know, it was between that and like the Art Institute, which would have been financially probably yeah. so much safer right like but you know there was something so enticing about a private art school where your concentration was art for the full four years there were no generals quote unquote like there had been at, at the previous university mm -hmm. I'd attended and uh, I fell in love with it um, when we went and visited the campus. It felt like home. And there have been several times in my life where things have just clicked and they feel really right. They feel really familiar. And that was the feeling that I got from that visit. And so I you know, I had a portfolio with me that day. They asked for some changes. I made those changes and I was accepted. And I, you know, again, I chose, I chose comics. It was, it was really between like comics and animation. And I suppose I chose comics again, because it, it just felt more viable. Again, it was something that I could do independent of like a studio. And, and I know you can be an independent animator as well, but I also know that animation is a grind and not that comics aren't, but I think it's safe to say that animation is probably the most tedious art form, um, you know? And, and so I, and, and I liked the comic kids, like not better, I didn't know the animation mm -hmm. kids, but I liked, I liked the comic kids. They were, they were quirky and fun. And, and, you know, we were all kind of a ragtag bunch of weirdos and they were so much more knowledgeable about comics than I was as well. And, and so I suppose I chose comics because I, I again, it was, I felt at home in mm -hmm. that, in, in that kind of um, concentration. Um, so, yeah, I don't, this kind of tends to be a theme of my life where I, I, I kind of make loose plans, but then I let things just kind of happen and I kind of just go with the flow about it. And so I graduated as a non-traditional student in 2012 from the Minneapolis of college of uh, the Minneapolis college of art and design, um, at the ripe old age of 26. Um, and I was, you know, I, I had lived on campus the first year, but then to save some money, I was commuting back and forth. And I was actually like living in my mom's basement and driving like 40 minutes to school four days a week. Mm. Um, and then after college, I, I moved in with some, some school roommates um, and, and lived in Minneapolis. And I, yeah, that's kind of, I may have even moved home again after that. <laughs> yeah. There was there was a lot of moving in and out, mm -hmm. you know, like it's the it, art is hard. Yeah, it's it, it's not only hard to make things, it's hard to make it into a paycheck. Yeah, like um, moving out of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. But fortunately, one of my roommates, uh, 
was an intern for Department 56, Mm -hmm. um, which, you know, the like little snow villages that people put out at Christmas. Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah, that's Department 56. And one of their artists was retiring and she got me an interview there. And I, I got the job to be the village accessory artist. So for six years, I drew the people that populated the snow village, the Halloween village, um, occasionally a couple of Alpine pieces, which I think that village is retired now, um, Christmas in the city. So I kind of had my hands on all of that. Um, mm. And that's kind of where my commercial art career started. It, it started because I happened to live with someone who was also an illustrator who had a job at this product design company. So again, like those, those were not plans I made. It's mm-hmm. just something that I kind of accepted and took that opportunity. And um, they, it, they were owned by another company called Anesco and Anesco has an office out here in Burbank and, and I transferred three years ago and now I do licensed product design and we work very closely with Disney and Warner Brothers and um, like we work on Harry Potter figurines. Uh, we, we do a ton of stuff with Disney. Um, and that's kind of the, both the long and short of it, I suppose. You know, I yeah. can make it longer, but I also know yeah. we have a time limit. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, no, you're doing good. You're doing fine. Yeah, I was going to say, um, when you were doing the, uh, when you were doing the, uh, the towns, were you partial to any of the holidays? Christmas, Halloween? Um, I think I've always kind of gravitated more toward Halloween. Um, okay. But uh I think that's because, you know, I kind of, I mean, I, we grew up having lovely Christmases, but they were always a little bit of a challenge um, because I'm, you know, I'm from a family of divorce, like so many people are. And so they always felt chaotic as well. You know, it was always a lot of time sharing, a lot of running back and forth. Um, And I think that it's, it's, it's a holiday that I'm coming around to loving again, mm-hmm. but for a long time, it just felt tedious. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. if I'm being real, mm-hmm. um, but now as an adult, you know, I've, I've gotten more into decorating and, but, but definitely I think Halloween, it just suits my aesthetic a little more, you know, warm and fuzzy is great, but, yeah. but also like spooky spooky, you know, yeah. is fun. A lot more of so, like cool designs and like you know. yeah there was always more freedom within those villages as well like we could we could do more and we could kind of um blur the lines a little bit between like reality and fantasy because it was halloween you know mm-hmm. um witches populated those villages and goblins populated those villages whereas in christmas it's like oh it's a cute family it's like that yeah yeah that's great yeah <laughs> or like polar bears or yeah polar yeah bears. we did we did have like a we do have they still have a north pole village um mm-hmm. it's got like elves and polar bears and yeah yeah, yeah it was I think I appreciate it a lot more now looking back on it. But when you work a job like that, you know, when you're the village accessory artist every day, you're, you're, you're not redrawing the same stories, but just drawing figures, drawing Mm -hmm. these small 
ceramic or, or resin or porcelain figures, there's a, there's a monotony that kind of happens where it all kind of becomes more of the same. And I, I just felt too young in my career to not be challenged more. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's not to say that it wasn't a great gig and that I didn't really enjoy all the people that I work with, worked with, but um, I just, you know, the woman that I replaced was 70 and that's kind of, it was kind of like her, her last hurrah. And mm -hmm. I just felt like, I don't want to be at this job for 30 years. I don't want to stay in Minnesota for forever because there's so much out there. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you can always go back to a place, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah your hometown it's always there, you know? Yeah, it's not yeah. going anywhere. I know it's great, but I also kind of want to see this place and I want to see that place. Mm -hmm. And yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, going back to um, just kind of like, a, you know, you're in, uh, you know, in college and everything. Can you talk a little bit about any um, like ins inspirations or like any uh, influences that you had from any particular artists? Yeah, I, I can. Um, and I wrote down some notes um, mm -hmm. because I, I kind of had to rack my brain about who I was into at the time. And of course, like um, Zach Sally is is someone who first told me or, you know, us, the comic kids about Jaime Hernandez um, and, and obviously a solid artist and mm -hmm. really, you know, economy of line and black and white and composition it, it just how can you look at Jaime and not be mesmerized by mm -hmm. it now if I'm being realistic I didn't actually sit and read any of his comics like I um you know I'm I'm a big fan of like google searches and then I put stuff in a folder yeah. I'll grab the images and I'll I'll throw it into a folder and and you know I'll file it away under like you know a category like legs mm -hmm. you know like you know and that might be where Jaime Hernandez and you know Frank Cho live mm -hmm. yeah. you know because right yeah, um they draw very attractive characters yeah, yeah they do it but 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 they draw them very differently you know Frank Cho kind of like idealizes that mm -hmm. that bottom heavy woman where she's you know she's very curvy and and Jaime Hernandez does more of this realistic depiction of the female body you know there's curves and there's lumps and there's imperfections and that was something else that I appreciated about his work is it lived in reality like mm. um and it felt really kind of comforting coming from you know, superhero comics, which for a long time was all I knew about until I got to art school. And then, and then I found out about like slice of life comics mm -hmm. and, and, you know, that there's so many different styles. And so, um, and then another artist that has always kind of inspired me was Bruce Tim. Well, you know, I, I grew yeah. up, yeah, watching car the cartoons, mm -hmm. the, um, the Batman and Superman and, um, but if you go back and, yeah, yeah <laughs> you go back and you look at his concept art, or if you look at his comics, like he's, I feel like the animation doesn't do him any justice. You lose quality as soon as it has to be sequential and there has to be so many frames. Mm -hmm. And so I like, I like his concept art the best. Um, and then you know, just to like rattle down this list, Becky Coonan, you know, she's great and, and beautiful. And she, her alongside, um, 
Sheila Beckett, who is an old school illustrator. Um, I mean, she, I think she was born in like 1913 and died in like 2013. And so she, you know, was kind of that mid-century quintessential like style, but in this really graphic kind of way. Like mm -hmm. if you look at her art, I, I think she primarily used gouache. Um, and there was a book I had of hers, The 12 Dancing Princesses. It was a little golden book. I think I might even still have it. Okay. You know, so, I mean, there's so many people that kind of inspired my style and you might look at you might look at my work and 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 be like, well, I don't see you know how mm -hmm. I, I don't see this person in her work at all. But but it it has you know for example, uh, Beck or uh, Sheila Beckett kind mm -hmm. of helped me with like volume of form and like how I drew figures. And Becky Cloonan helped me be maybe a little more cartoonish and a little more stylized you know there's bits and pieces that you kind of absorb when you gravitate towards certain artists um and uh yeah and uh that's all i have to say about that <laughs> oh yeah no those are some really <laughs> it was a lot <laughs> yeah no those are really interesting like um combination of like artists you know like i love uh bruce tim and, yeah, uh, yeah. I kind of like following you on Instagram could definitely kind of see some of the influences there and everything. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like Bruce Tim. Yeah, he's yeah, he's uh, he's like the best. Like, you know, just um, like his uh, you know, uh, some of his other work. Just I believe he did like some Marvel stuff. I was just thinking of the other day, like when he draws like, you know, like characters like Nick Fury. He gives them like really like this like jagged sort of like you know appearance. He, yeah he has a very like graphic style it it it's very simplified but in a way that's attractive you're mm -hmm. not missing any of the information and of course he has that classic style that we yeah. all recognize and i guess that's kind of what i liked about jaime hernandez mm -hmm. and, and bruce tim was they could do so much with a line and it that really made me feel like okay don't need to sit here and color everything in perfectly you know because i also was a disney kid and i grew up mm -hmm. with disney movies and everything had to be this kind of like animation style and fully colored and i just got to a point where it's like i don't like coloring in stuff i actually get a lot of joy from the line art and i'll maybe make some choices to enhance that but for me the coloring in I could take it or leave it you know mm. it, it obviously varies piece to piece but the comic that i'm i'm working on right now um phases I, I just decided that it didn't need to be full color and i actually i, I want it to kind of live between color and black and white you know mm. so there's muted there's a couple muted tones the lines are kind of gray and brown but it's it's mostly it's mostly white if you look at it um and you can see that art on my instagram as well as my website and maybe one day it will exist as a comic we'll have to see <laughs> yeah definitely sending you know all the positive thoughts your way you know thank you yeah yeah, yeah. i was gonna say too um you know it's cool like bringing back the black and white um for any sort of graphic novel um because i you know i love like sin city mm. um 
you know, I think like Black Hole, if you ever read that, you know, whole. I didn't. And, you mm -hmm. know, I tried to read Sin City and I, real talk, it was just a little too much grunge for me. Visually, yeah. I like a cleaner art, but mm -hmm. that's not, I'm not discrediting it. I yeah. recognize its value culturally. Yeah. It just, that nitty gritty where I can't, sometimes I can't, I have to like decipher what my eyes are seeing. That's a little too much work for me. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> you all know? good. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, and like that and every character wears like Converse sneakers, you know? And yeah. So like, they all have but the same. You know? Yeah, that's that's my personal preference. We all have mm. our personal taste, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, any uh, programs or anything that you use for, uh, you know, illustration? Yeah, yeah. So um, I love Procreate. I love my tablet. I have a, an iPad Pro. It has been an absolute game changer and has really allowed me to evolve much faster than I would have without a tablet, you know, if I were just working on paper. And sometimes I really kind of wrestle with that, you know, because mm -hmm. I, is it cheating or is it taking advantage of modern technology? You know, um, like they have perspective tools where I can much more easily set up two and three point perspectives on my tablet. And then there's a setting that you can turn on that will actually snap your lines to follow the perspective that you've set up. And I've always struggled with perspective. You know, I, my, I grew up drawing people and horses and, you know, I grew up on a farm part-time and, and I would draw horses out of my stepmom's riding magazines, or I would draw Disney princesses. And where I really live and feel comfortable is with like human form mm -hmm. and, and creating a space from nothing is a real challenge for me. Uh, it's just something that's really hard to visualize and there's a disconnect. And I would say Procreate was an absolute game changer. Um, and I know a lot of people can use Photoshop, um, but I, I personally, the way I use Photoshop even for work is it's, it's so abbreviated. I think I'm probably only utilizing about 7% of Photoshop's full potential. And Procreate is an abbreviated drawing program. It, it's almost like if I have too many options, it will stunt me. It will, it will overwhelm me. And I really only toggle between three or four brushes. Um, they're my go-tos. You know, I like more of like a pencil or a texture rather than a smooth line. And, um, you know, I think uh, for layout, it, it, it would either be Illustrator or Photoshop. I mean, I those those programs are somewhat interchangeable the way that I use them in my mm. day job. I really talk. I really go back and forth. Uh, I, I keep both open during the day. There are some things that I can do faster in Photoshop, and there's some things that I can do much faster in Illustrator. And so the, those three programs are staples in my toolbox. Um, and I think I, you know, I, I've always thought about, okay, maybe I should go back to pencil for a sketchbook, 
I used to fill up sketchbooks when I was a kid, just page after page after page. I was so unselfconscious. And now as an adult, a new sketchbook is terrifying. It's it's like pristine and anything mm. I put in it is going to quote unquote ruin it. Mm. And I know I'm not the only artist that feels that way. And I think it's because there there's so many expectations that you're now putting on your art as an adult. Like, will my audience like this? Will it bring in work, which mm. will pay my bills? You don't think about that stuff when you're a kid. When you're a no, kid, yeah. it's just explorational. And I used to just draw for hours and I drew really quirky things like I watched Gundam Wing when I was a kid and so nice. I would like draw myself as like a Gundam pilot in like the Japanimation style mm. you know you can really like fantasize or like you know Disney movies I said I was a Disney kid I was mm. like fascinated by that end of movie kiss or embrace so I would just draw people kissing over and over in my sketchbook and I mean, my dad must have thought I was freaking bonkers. Like every time he would look through my sketchbook, mm -hmm. he would just be like animation fighter pilots or like people making out. Um, but it didn't phase me as a kid. I think now if you asked to look through my work, I would probably try to preface every single thing you were looking at. Okay, here's what's happening and here's what's going on. And let me just give you this backstory when really you're kind of denying art its function Mm -hmm. which is to show the viewer what you mean. You're not supposed to be standing there telling them. And also the other function of art is that the viewer is allowed to apply their own interpretation through their own lens to the work. So even if they totally miss the mark mm -hmm. of what you're presenting them with, what they're feeling from it and what they're taking away from it is still valid. Yeah. Um, you know, so sketchbooks scare me. That's the moral of that yeah. story. <laughs> no, yeah. Have you have you um, ever went back to any of the like the old ones or kind of like you know found yeah. them? Yeah, and there's stuff that I would actually like to revisit now, but it's it's kind of a time issue, like yeah. where, okay, do I want to spend my time redrawing this this great idea that I had? And I still love the idea, and I really believe that you can still love ideas mm -hmm. that you had long ago. Um, and I, I strongly believe that you should revisit them. Some artists will say that you're not evolving if you do so, but I disagree. I think it's a fun exercise in like seeing how you've quote unquote improved as mm -hmm. an artist. Um, crap, I just lost my train of thought. What was I talking about? Oh, yeah, revisiting. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> sorry. No, you're all good. So the reason why I don't is because I have pre such precious little time that I I really feel guilty when I don't work on my comic or like it it feels weirdly guilty to do this one off that really won't serve me in any mm -hmm. way with the exception of course of enjoying the process and that that you know, within its own right is reason enough to do anything, right? If you enjoy something, screw the rest, do the thing. Yeah. Um, but I'm also a crazy person. And <laughs> if I, if I, you know, let myself go off on too many of these tangents, which is so often what happens, then I kind of lose sight of what my main focuses are. Mm-hmm. And right now, I really, really want my main focus or one of my main focuses, because let's be honest, I have more than one. I want my main focus to be phases 
to be the comic that I'm working on. I have a story that I believe in. Mm-hmm. I have the first manuscript written um, and the writing process went really quickly and, and weirdly things just kind of like flowed out of me in a way that I didn't expect. And, and, you know, now I'm in, I'm thumbing and I'm kind of toggling back and forth between thumbing and kind of locking in some panels that I know I like that, um, that I won't change the thumbnails for. But I would like to talk about thumbnails and how I loathe them. I, (laughs) I like them when they're done. because it's a map right Mm -hmm. but a thumbnail is where you have to do the most of your thinking you know you've you visualized it in your head when you were writing the manuscript and you wrote down you know the description of the panel and you have that information but when it comes actually putting it into a thumbnail number one you don't want to over render your thumbnail like I will fall into the trap of my thumbnails needing to look a certain way or be perfect. And it's really, they should just be rough. They should just be these rough ideas. Um, But sometimes what we envision in our head, it either won't work within a panel um, because we're kind of imagining it in 3d and it's, it becomes trickier on paper or, you know, you're going to, you're going to be confined within your skill set your abilities. Okay. I can't draw this the way I wanted to, the way I imagined it, but can I draw it in a way that won't mess with the the pacing? It Mm. won't trip the reader up. They'll just blow right over it. If it's not a key moment, if it's not a key panel, then really you kind of want people to just blow right over your panels. Like comics are about pacing. Um, And so there's certain panels that you don't even really want them to see. You want them to interpret, mm-hmm. but you know, and so thumbnails, because I agonize over every single panel in a thumbnail and they're just tedious and time consuming. And, and, um, that's where I'm at. Emotionally. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's like, <laughs> yeah, I can imagine it's just kind of like, you know, com- like cinematography in a way where it's like composing the shot and like, you know, like this utmost concentration. It's a a critical step that I, that I used to just blow past in school, Mm -hmm. you know, and of course, of course, my instructors were telling me that that was a mistake, but I was just so hungry to get to the, to the, to the like final drawing. I, and I really made a lot of bad art in school. In fact, I would argue that like 95% of the stuff I made at school was bad, um, but it exists. Mm-hmm. I made it, yeah. you know, and, and I learned every time I worked on something, even if I, you know, missed a deadline or procrastinated or like it, it was all worth the learning experience. Right. Yeah. I guess the moral of this story is if you're a comic book artist, don't skip your thumbnails, like just do yeah. them, <laughs> even though they suck. <laughs> Good advice. Yeah. I mean, pretty crucial. I mean, yeah, it's like the blueprint. Yeah. 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 Uh, Tate, can you tell us a little bit more about the, your comic phases? That seemed really fun, interesting. I want to hear more about it. Yeah. So um, phases is a story about a woman. It's kind of like a coming of age story but later in life you know I'm I'm in my mid-30s and of course it appeals to me to write 
about people who are, you know, my, my same age, Mm -hmm. um, that that's not always going to be the case, but in this particular case, I just felt like I wanted to read a comic or write a comic about a 30 something year old woman who kind of has to start fresh. She's leaving a toxic relationship. She's been out of the workforce for, for years. Um, and so she gets a job temping with a, a publishing agency and she's really timid and, um, you know, she kind of can't see her own value and her, and her boss who's younger than her is just a dick, of course, because he's under his own pressures and, and really kind of like, um, dealing with his own struggle within his, his family. Um, and through a series of events, she ends up doming him. So basically mm-hmm. he makes her life hell at work. And then she kind of makes his life hell, but you know, in like a sexy way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, nice. and and he doesn't really know, you know, it's um he doesn't know at first that it's her, but mm-hmm. she knows right away. He's he's obviously like blindfolded and um and and she recognizes him and of course, you know, like panic sets in. But ultimately, she rises to the challenge. So this timid thing really has this like alter ego, this like nighttime persona of being this really powerful woman and really kind of takes out her anger on him, which he allows. Of course, it's all mm-hmm. it's all consensual and it it almost seems like he needs that. Um it almost seems like he needs to relinquish control because he himself is so controlled and consumed with, you know, everything being perfect and he's kind of white knuckling through things. And um, anyways, it's, 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 it's a romance, Mm -hmm. but it's not really, it's more, I think about self-discovery as far as how graphic it's going to be. I would call it soft core, you know, I'm not, I, have I drawn boobies before? Yes. Will you <laughs> yeah. actually see boobies in this comic? You know, I don't know if the world needs to see more lady boobies. Like mm-hmm. they're out there. <laughs> like, yeah. The world is saturated with them. And if I don't feel like it's going to add value to the story, I'm not mm-hmm. going to toss it in there. Of course, if I feel like it's a vulnerable moment and that's something I want to put in, I will. Um, but I also, the goal is, you know, the goal is not to like, you know, it's, I'm trying to walk a fine line between this woman rediscovering herself and her Mm -hmm. sexuality without sexualizing this woman, if that makes sense, because women are already sexualized enough. Mm -hmm. And but also sex positivity can be really powerful. And I just, I have these ideas um, and I have this cast of characters that are, you know, um, there's a lot of different people on the spectrum, LGBTQIA, um, as supporting characters, there's also, you know, characters of different races. And I'm, I'm not trying to be overly PC, mm-hmm. but I'm trying to kind of reflect what like I so world. often, yeah, I, what mm-hmm. I hear as grievances within these communities, within my friends, when they talk about 
the things that upset them about Hollywood or about reading stories, like they're so tired of reading stories about straight people and, and white people. And I, I understand that my main character is a straight white woman, but I think that's what I know. And that's mm. what I can most genuinely write. But I really yeah. want to support her story and surround her stories with these other stories that are just as important. So for example, her roommate, her best friend, her name is Sue, and she is Korean and she's a lesbian. And mm -hmm. she left Korea because her family was not accepting of the fact that she was a lesbian. And, um, and so she kind of decided that she needed to be true to herself and put herself first and she comes to America and she ends up dancing as a means to make money and again it's not meant to degrade her she finds a lot of power in in her sexuality and um, and she has a love story that unfolds um, which I think is just as important um, and so, and, and there's also, you know, there's there's a wider cast of characters. And to be honest with you, I'm not even sure how the, the story ends. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, know, I know the structure and I know the characters and I, but I, but I debate the ending. I really mm -hmm. kind of go back and forth. I think there's more than one way that it could come to a close and it, it might just come down to how I'm feeling the day mm. that I write it, you know? Okay. Um, anyways, so that's my comic. Uh, if it ever actually happens, <laughs> you know, I did work on thumbnails yesterday, but I, um, you know, in addition to working as a product designer, I pick up the odd freelance job here and there and yeah. money is a great motivator. And uh, I want my comic to exist. I'm really excited about it, but mm -hmm. it doesn't pay my bills Yeah, and it may not ever. And that mm -hmm. is fine. Mm -hmm. But when you have a job kind of come onto your desk that does, they say you do this thing. And at the end of the week, we're going to put money in your PayPal. Yeah. It's like, okay, I'm mm -hmm. going to do that. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know? It's, yeah, it's just the, the work life balance and especially too with like personal projects, because there's, you know, stuff I'm writing where you just, you know, it's like this balancing act and you know yeah and like and also burnout is real and, yes. and yeah. like I I think that's why you know I drew so much as a kid and then even when I worked at the bank before I went to college for art it like poured out of me I think because it was my only outlet mm -hmm. when I became a student and then afterwards when it became my job like every day was about creating. It just may not have been projects that you like set for yourself, but you were expelling energy and you were, you know, using thought processes and looking at things with a critical eye. And so that is a creative outlet as well. And, and there's, you only have, you know, so much of a well inside of you. And when it's tapped, it's tapped, you know? Um, scraping the bottom of the barrel is very real. Yeah. Whether you've spent the day working on something you love or you've spent the day drafting concepts to send to licensors, mm -hmm. like you have expelled creative energy. Um, and so yeah. that's something that I'm ever cognizant of is like, you know, I keep telling myself, I'm going to get up in the morning, I'm going to spend the first hour of every day working on my comic, and that's mm -hmm. going to be Tate's hour. 
And then every day my alarm goes off and I'm so tired. Yeah. I know it. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm so tired. <laughs> you know? But, yeah, no, I mean, that's, you know, that's, you know, that's the, that's the struggle too. Cause it's just, you know, there's not, there's really not enough time in the day. And then especially like you need to give uh, yourself time just to, I don't know, just like to exist, to like wake up, you know, yeah, just kinda, yeah. to exist, to go for a run, to hang mm -hmm. out with friends, you know, to have other hobbies outside of art. I have other hobbies outside of art, you know, and um, but again, it's that guilt that kind of keeps me feeling, you know, it's just like, yeah, there's a weird guilt that comes alongside yeah. not working on my art. And, yeah. and I'm sure you feel maybe the same way as like a writer. Um, mm -hmm. If you don't touch it that day, then you're not a real writer. You're not a real artist or you're not yeah. doing a good job. Mm -hmm. And that sucks. And I, I don't know if there's a way out of that mindset uh, other than trying to be as kind as possible to yourself. But the downfall of that is you can be kind for an entire month and never touch your project. Maybe we yeah. need some tough love, you know? Yeah, it's it's like a mixture of both because I almost, you know, that guild that you're saying, I, uh, yeah, no, I, I feel that too. You know, it's almost like this, uh, like Catholic guilt, almost, I would say. Oh my gosh, no, yeah. I was just telling my mom the other day, I would put the Catholics to shame. <laughs> like my guilt keeps me up at night, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but it's very real. It's, um, and I suppose that's because we have this internal mechanism that is telling us that we need to make. Like it's, it's it's coming from a place of like such purity where it's like you have to do this thing or or life is worthless yeah so when you ignore that to like i don't know do laundry go for a run mm -hmm. you know go out with friends watch a movie when you ignore that voice it 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 just becomes really conflicting yeah because everybody deserves to relax and to just live life and go with the flow but mm -hmm. but also I think at the same time we should honor that voice like that's something that's been put inside of us that maybe not everybody has or or maybe they have it for different things you know I imagine for athletes it's sports mm -hmm. you know um or for moms it's their kids and, and for dads it might be their kids too um and so maybe everybody has a voice, but it, it really varies person to person. And for some people, that voice kind of fits more comfortably into like a socially acceptable day, you know, a nine to five job, martinis with your girlfriends. Yeah. I, I don't know, after work on Friday, whereas <laughs> those things really feel like distractions to me, mm -hmm. you know, but I, I need a job because money. Yeah. And, you know. <laughs> capitalism you know, you know it's 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 weird <laughs> it's weird that my job feels like a distraction it feels like the thing I have to do so that I can do the thing I want to do but then there's nothing left in my reserves to do the thing I want to do so it very much feels like this revolving door mm -hmm. and um I don't know if there's a trick to breaking that cycle other than you know making healthy choices getting mm -hmm. lots of sleep eating nutritiously so that you can kind of eke those last hours out of your day, or in my case, fingers crossed, the first hour of your yeah. day, you know, setting really small attainable goals. Like, uh, mm -hmm. I don't know if you've heard of the Pomodoro method, 
but the mm-hmm. idea is that you work uninterrupted, like you put your phone on focus, you shut down all your social media, you have your work spread out and everything you need to do your work and you concentrate for 25 minutes without interruption. And then you take a five minute break and then you do that again for twi- 25 minutes and then you take a five minute break. And you do that for four cycles until you've worked for two hours and then you get a longer 20 minute break. And the idea is that you would work up to that time frame. Maybe if you're struggling, you know, like me, if you, if you're struggling to, mm. to really spend a large amount of time on a project, 25 minutes a day is kind of your entry point, right? Mm. Just because 25 minutes a day on something at the end of the week is a few hours worth of work that you wouldn't otherwise have. Um, and that's kind of, that's kind of my way into, and, and usually I find if I do one Pomodoro, if I go for 25 minutes, I usually feel like I have another 25 minutes in me. I go, that was really easy. It went by so fast. I was really consumed in what I was working on these pesky thumbnails. And so, you know, for example, yesterday I ended up doing, I think three, three Pomodoros, an hour and a half's worth of work. If we're counting the breaks, which let's count them, let's be generous. Um, And yeah, so that's, uh, there's, there's actually a focus app. There's tons of Pomodoro apps, but that is a method that I think you know, if you're struggling with that, like fear of starting or procrastination, or you don't have the time, or you feel like you don't have the time, you know, I would really recommend looking into the Pomodoro method. Okay. Um, I'm, yeah. I'm seriously considering that now. Yeah. Well, okay. I'll send you a link okay. to the, to the app that I use. There's a little bell that chimes. Um, when you've done your 25 minutes and it, it both scares me, but I also find it so uh-huh. satisfying because I'm usually ingrained in my work. And the yeah. other day I had my volume up really high on my computer and it scared my cat too. So, you know, yeah. um, if you're, yeah. if you're into jump scares, then this <laughs> app is for you. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm definitely into that. Yeah. Cause, uh, yeah, it sounds like a guided meditation almost. You know, it kind of is, it kind of gives you the space. Okay. For the next 25 minutes, like, and, and truly put your phone to airplane mode, set your computer to focus or whatever devices you use. And if you need an extra app to do it, do it. I know people who leave their phones in the other room Mm -hmm. um, because they can't help but reach over and pick it up. I know people who, who will um, do the Pomodoro method kind of analog with like little egg timers. Um, they find the the clicking or that countdown. They like to watch the time go down. They feel a sense of accomplishment as the time gets nearer to their 25 minutes, um, which I kind of feel the same way. My app keeps the timer on my on my menu bar on my computer and I'll, mm. I'll look up and 10 minutes will have passed and I'll be like, dang, that 10 minutes flew by. Oh, I know so. the next 10 minutes will as well. Yeah, so um Wow, now we're talking about the Pomodoro method. Yeah. <laughs> but I oh, think it's great. Yeah. I, I really think it's great. I think everybody should use it. Now I've convinced myself that I'm going to do 25 minutes of thumbnails after this podcast. So, you know. There we go. Yeah, life advice on the podcast. Here we go. <laughs> but yeah, no, I'm definitely going to check that out because, yeah, it's just, it's just like, I feel like almost like a lot of, 
like notifications and things are just like attacking you <laughs> almost you and know it's, it's so true it's yeah. so true i mean i'll get i'll get texts from my mom or my friends or my boyfriend or and it's just like they're not doing anything wrong Mm -hmm. but I get mad at the distraction. Yeah, I get mad that they've entered into this space that was already so difficult to create for myself. I was already, you know, having this fear of, you know, working on this thing because it's, you know, I struggle with perfectionism. And um, so I was already not wanting to work on this thing. And someone chiming in takes me out of that, and it can be devastating mm -hmm. in like a weird way a yeah. little text so shut your phones off <laughs> yeah best life advice right there yeah shut your phones off <laughs> yeah but yeah yeah no i'm definitely taking that to heart um i guess kind of uh you know it's been a really great conversation but just kind of like uh wrapping things up here um any uh dream projects that you'd like to work on and then any future projects you want to like promote uh you know no and yes of course yes mm -hmm. but also no because i <laughs> you know um i really i will continue to work on on my comic um i don't know what happens after that and like i said art is not my only passion and so yes there's always things swirling around in my head that i like fantasize about as a creative person but they're not all visual art based you know i i do really hope to have a youtube channel mm -hmm. more of a lifestyle style channel um i do i have i have a youtube channel currently there are two videos on it um nice. it's called take draws um but i admittedly want to learn video editing and so this is basically just like screen recording that i'm talking to you while i'm drawing like noses and hands it's mm. very like i did it because my niece wanted some videos because she's mm. into art and and i thought well why don't i just put them up, up on youtube and you can access them anytime so if you just feel like listening to something chill you know sometimes i like to do that too on youtube i'll put on videos of people working while yeah. i work it's conducive to okay. whether i'm watching their screen or or I'm, there's one there's one person i follow where you know you never see her face but you see her like desk set up and she's in front of her window and and her notes are all laid out and she studies it's like a study hour hmm. so like is it like lo-fi beats to uh yeah, yeah 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 there's i also hers don't have lo-fi beats hers are just like the sounds of studying so her hmm. keyboard clicking or her drinking coffee or if it's raining outside the rain on the window um, and she also does the Pomodoro method as well. Mm -hmm. So she, but she does them in longer increments. Um, so, uh, let's see, you asked me about my dreams. Oh, yeah. I don't, I don't know, man, all, everything, all okay. of it, YouTube yeah. comics, um, you know, if I'm being completely candid, like acting, you know, mm -hmm. being a thespian, uh, I guess just really exploring every part of myself while i can because you can't take it with you when yeah. you're gone and yeah. um i like i said there's this internal mechanism that compels me to create and it may not necessarily be visual art you know and i, I 
but like I said, kind of on the front end of this podcast is I, I learned a long time ago that all the plans that I make are going to be loose and really flexible because when something falls in your lap, you don't want to be so rigid that you don't Mm -hmm. take it, you know? Um, and that's just how I feel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I, yeah, no, it's, uh, God, it's some really good life advice on this podcast. I'm, Thank you. <laughs> yeah, definitely recommending. Well, I am in my mid thirties, so I've seen some shit. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I trust you. I trust you. But yeah, yeah. Um, definitely big takeaway. Just, you know, be kinder to yourself. Definitely. Like, yeah. And, and also if I can, just one last sure. little nugget. And this is, this is kind of my mantra. And this is something I tell myself every day when I start a project, when I can't work on a project, my mantra, my internal kind of pep talk is that your work doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to exist. There's a lot of really cool things that happens between bad and perfect. And also that spectrum is subjective. Um, cause I've seen a lot of bad art that has really resonated in me and like, what is bad art? And, you know, so, so, so just make the thing, you know, the comic that I'm working on now, there are already panels that I'm <clears throat> intentionally not redrawing because instead of spending my time perfecting these panels, let's just get the dang thing done. Let's just yeah. get the story out there people aren't going to see the things that I see. And if they do, maybe they'll take comfort in it. You know, I, I kind of like when I kind of see that rough, the roughness of it, or, you know, oh, there's a comic that I love on Webtoons. And I know we're kind of running out of time, but I I would be remiss not to mention um, Rachel Smythe and Laura Olympus. Mm -hmm. Um, Everybody needs to go read Laura Olympus it's a modern retelling of the love story between Persephone and Hades. And um, I think it's like the number one webtoon and has been for a while. And she really gave me the freedom to be okay with imperfections. And when you see her art, I think you'll know why. It's a, it's a really loose style. And even how she draws her characters can change panel to panel but it doesn't matter because it's beautiful Hmm. and it's the story is vibrant and the art is vibrant and the style it just really suits um this story and and that really has given me permission to to be okay with uh, okay that hand looks fucked up but I'm gonna move on right um so laura olympus go read that okay do it now gotcha <laughs> putting that like bookmarking that in one way do it tabs. now if yeah. you if you if you love a good love story but also there's um of course because it's based on greek mythology there's a fantasy element and and i think she does a really good job of encapsulating that and also i won't i won't get in too deep but um the way she handles like Olympus and the underworld is very different than the way she handles the modern world and she does this kind of really cool switcheroo and uh that's all I'm gonna say go read okay. it <laughs> yeah cool cool all right yeah. definitely recommend listeners to uh check that out and uh yeah um you know just kind of uh you know 
plugs and everything right now uh, where can people uh, find you at any sort of like social media well you uh, you can find me on instagram at tate.yotter and i solemnly swear that i will only update it every six months or so so okay. if you're feeling really overwhelmed by instagram then i am the perfect person to follow <laughs> yeah <laughs> like like for a long time I, I i really tried to fit into that algorithm and then i realized i was just making work for social media and that mm -hmm. felt like shit so i yeah. stopped doing that so occasionally I update it, you know, no pressure, but you can also find my website, um, tateyotter.com. It has a lot of the same work. It has a, a couple other things. You can see my, um, my product design as well as, you know, my sketchbook and, mm -hmm. and yeah, I, I think I'm on Twitter, but don't follow me because I never update Twitter. Yeah. And, like you're doing Twitter's yourself, not for me. Yeah. You're doing yourself <laughs> wonders not being on Twitter. From like a big Twitter person, so you know. I was on Twitter for like twenty minutes after Donald Trump was elected president, and I oh, was God. like, "Okay, we need to leave now." Yeah, it's uh, not a good place. Yeah, I just like I don't. I already yell at myself. I don't need other people yelling at me as well. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. Yeah. How will you know yeah. the discourse on? The most randomness of things. <laughs> yeah. Well, and also I've found that a lot of people I follow on Instagram will go ahead and just repost like Twitter oh, feeds. Yeah. So it's like, okay, this has already been curated. So mm -hmm. that's yeah. fine. It's like you missed nothing. Yeah. Um, yeah. But anyway, yeah. Um, yeah, Tate, this has been like a really cool um kind of like life affirming podcast <laughs> conversation. So. Do you feel validated? Yeah, honestly, like I think everybody needs to talk to an artist or a writer at least once a week, we just need to have like a, a check in. Mm -hmm. So that we can all just feel a little better about ourselves. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I've, uh, you know, definitely gonna check out that method. And yeah, I definitely feel, uh, yeah, you know, gave a lot of good advice. So yeah, yeah listeners, I'm, great. I'm, yeah. I'm glad. Mm -hmm. Please check out her work on Instagram and, you know, looking forward to um, the comic and, you know, what and any other works of yours. Uh, again, wishing you the best of luck and all these positive thoughts. So thank cool. you. Mm -hmm. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thank you for being on. Uh, uh, we've been the Waffle Press podcast um, at the Waffle Press on Twitter at um, the Waffle Press podcast on Instagram. Um, you can find me on G992. Twitter, Instagram, whatever. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. We've been professionally unprofessional.